You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. everyone and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with our producer Alex Diaz and our production assistant Daniel Tursini, we would like to welcome you to our show this morning. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, guys. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, Kathy. Everyone good today? Yes. I'm feeling all right. That's good. That's good. Our show is taped, so Alex has told me not to talk about anything that's relevant to the day. So <laughs> so it, uh, the show will be, we're in, what are we now? October. Well, uh, right sh- now, we're actually on, in, end of coming August. up to the end of, well, 28th, I was going to say coming up to September. Yes. Yeah, 29th. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, no no relevant things. We won't talk about the CNA or anything like that. We'll just, we'll just move on to talk about... Uh, um, our show today. So, anything, anything you guys want to add to this, or should I just go like go right into it? Well, why don't you go into it, and then uh, if we have something to add, then time at the end, then we'll course, talk. No. Okay, good. Because you know, I like, I think everyone likes to hear you. So, as I mentioned, our shows <laughs> today, our show today is taped, so no opportunity for, to call in. But please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can email us. Uh, sorry, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are at the Health Hub RMC on those uh, three social sites. And our email address is thh at radiomaria.ca. And all of our shows, live or taped, are uh, flipped over into a podcast. And you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, all your favorite podcast platforms. And we are the Health Hub on all of those. Um, You can also find our podcasts on the Radio Maria Canada website, which is radiomaria.ca. And on my website, which is kathybiasse.com. as I said, this is going up. The, we'll have so all of our September shows will will likely be up. We'll see. We'll see what's up. So you guys just take a look and see what we have up at that time. Um, so what I want to talk about today is the importance of proper hydration. And this came about uh, oddly enough. I was playing baseball. I haven't played baseball in in a year, but we were playing on Sunday night, but so one Sunday night in in the summer. And uh, my husband and I played two games. And in the middle of the night, he woke up and his legs were completely cramped. And um, I mean, I I thought maybe I'd pulled muscle or something. And my my other son, when I told him, buddy, said, we probably didn't have enough water. And I thought, that's probably exactly what it is. It's probably exactly what it is. So, um, you know, it's not the first thing we go to when we get aches and pains, but it's, it's so important. So I thought what I'd do is just uh, talk a little bit about uh, hydration and dehydration. Um, the average human body is about 50 to 65% water. This is dependent upon your age. When a baby's born, it's, uh, the baby is about 78% water at birth. Men who have lean muscle, more lean muscle than women, are about 60% water. And women, uh, God bless us, having more fat than men, we settle in around 55% water content. So why is water important? Water does so many things uh, for us. It does, it's involved in so many functions in our body. 
Um, it lubricates our joints. It helps uh, keep moisture in our eyes and uh, keeps our skin moist. Helps to eliminate toxins from our body. Helps with digestion. It aids in our kidney function. So, so many things, um, and, and this is just a short list. Uh, the list is quite long of, of the functions of water. Uh, basically, dehydration, it's not a complicated process. It's when you don't take in as much fluid as you expel. Um, and you're leaving your body with inadequate stores of water to carry out these functions. So just by the, what were they, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five functions I told you, you can see how much water could potentially be used. And um, if we don't, if we don't uh, rehydrate yeah, and replenish, yeah. and replenish uh, we're going to suffer um, more severe issues. You know, when you're more fully hydrated, um, you can have a decrease in brain fluid can cause uh, things like brain fog. Um, And if you don't consistently give yourself enough water, you can increase your blood's viscosity, so the thickness, basically, of your blood. And when you do that, um, you're putting pressure on your cardiovascular system. Um, That's almost intuitive. The thicker the blood, the harder it is Mm -hmm. to pump. Um, And it can also lead to uh, areas of thrombogenesis or thrombosis. And uh, this is not good. So my first thought is is airplane trips. Um, people don't drink enough water when they're flying. Uh, I know because of the medication that I take, um, it, it can lead to more of a viscous um, blood flow because of the medication I take. So uh, I'm very aware of drinking water, especially on flights. But I'm guilty of, of not drinking enough water so on many are. Just, just for the fact of needing to get up and use the washroom. Yeah, true that, enough. That's a bit of a headache. But, but most of us are, uh, I shouldn't say most, I don't know, but a large majority of us, I think, are guilty of not drinking water, period. And, and you know, hence all these apps that you can have that, uh, you know, you, you signal, you hit the app and it works and every 10 minutes is telling you to sip water. I mean, right. Obviously, there was a need for the app, so people are, are feeling that they're not getting enough water. Um, the, the common causes, other than the actual fact of not taking in adequate water, of becoming hydrated, um, as I just alluded to, uh, certain medications can increase uh, the risk of dehydration. Um, diuretics, uh, one that, something that makes you uh, go to the bathroom more often. Uh, if you're on a medication and you're going to the bathroom, if you're going to the bathroom frequently anyways you need to replenish um if you have diarrhea so anybody who has ibs who finds themselves uh, in the bathroom quite a bit uh, if you're sick and you have diarrhea you need to replenish your fluids you need to these are these are triggers that you should be uh, looking for um as cues to rehydrate if you're sick and you're you are excessively vomiting um you need to rehydrate your body is losing too much fluid if you have a fever, so obviously when you have a fever, you're, you're getting warmer, and it, the, the warmer temperatures it works to dehydrate um, your body. Excessive sweating, so if you're outside a lot on hot, hot days, so we're coming, you know, as we're taping right now, we're coming to the end of summer, but during the hot summer months, or if you are working out and you are sweating quite a bit, if you are anything that causes you to sweat a lot going into saunas, you need to rehydrate. These are all very, very important things. People who have high blood sugar, people who have diabetes, uh, this can cause frequent urination. And uh, again, you need to rehydrate. Symptoms of dehydration range, there are many of them, but I'll list, I'll list a few of them here. Dry, sticky mouth, 
sleepiness or tiredness, dry skin, headaches, constipation, dizziness or uh, lightheadedness, um, not having tears when you cry. That's a biggie. Uh, If you're not going to the bathroom very often, you should be going, uh, you know, at least two to three times a day, urinating two to three times a day. Uh, And the last one, of course, is muscle cramps, which my husband had, which brought me This is full circle to why I decided to talk about this today. So just a few tips. Um, Have a bottle of water with you all the time. Um, As I look to my left and I don't have my bottle of water. But Mm -hmm. have your bottle of water with you all the time if you can. Start off the day with a glass of water. That also helps to eliminate toxins that your body has been working to um, move through your body as you sleep. So have a glass or two of water in the morning. Um, Add chia seed to your water for some added fiber. And uh, if you're getting tired of always having just plain water, you can add things like cucumber to it or berries, add mint. This will give you, uh, you know, a little bit more of a flavor profile and a little bit more in the nutrient category. I like lemon and lime in particular. So yeah, do I. Yeah, those are good. Um, I actually carry around, it's, it's currently sitting in the studio, but like a, two, like a two liter jug of water that I usually finish on a daily basis. Good for you. Like to try and, because it's how much, is, it's supposed to be like eight how much is it? Eight full glasses a day, or is it? Well, that's just, what they say. Yeah. I mean, you go to different sites; they'll tell you different. But I, I go with six to eight glasses a day. Okay. Yeah. No. It just. Um, and that's regular activity. So if I'm working out or something, then you you want to add to that. Yeah. No. And uh, and 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 certainly, there's actually have been cases of dehydration getting so bad in incredibly hot locations, such as the uh, Sahara Desert, for instance. Mm-hmm. There have been people who have been lost out there who, when they found them, found they actually found uh, what is it streaks of uh, blood across the face because the body had run out of so much water mm-hmm. that it started to try and use other fluids to try and cool down the body. To try, and that's that actually is another. Um uh, reason that we need water is to balance our temperature. That's, yeah. a, that's another reason. And you know, it's, um, uh, I just had a point here that I was going to make about uh, the water. We can do far uh, better without food than we can with water. I mean, I think that's, that's something that a lot of people do know, but uh, drink up. It's very important for your health. Yeah. So on to today's show. Our show is about sustainable fashion. This is something that I've really taken an interest in and uh, in future hope to dive deeper in. Our guest today is Rosemarie Rugrock, and she will um, say her name properly. She It rolls off of her tongue lovely. Um, she lives in Amsterdam, so I, I just did not say her name well. I know that from the top. But Rosemary lives in Amsterdam, and she is a fashion enthusiast with over 30 years of experience in the fields of fashion and sustainability. In 2007, after 15 years of working in the textile industry, 10 of those years at her own company, Promax Corporation Fashion, she founded the first on- and offline sustainable platform in the fashion and textile industry in Europe called Clean and Unique. She has an extensive curriculum of ethical participation and initiatives, including working for Amnesty International, Fair Wear Foundation, Fair Trade and Fashion Revolution. Those are three of them. She also lectures and has participated in several boards on TV programs and in voluntary activities surrounding sustainable fashion. Her dedication and commitment to promoting sustainable fashion reaches far beyond any trend. Rosemary is a true sustainable fashion expert who is intrinsically motivated and passionate about ethical fashion for the purpose of creating a better world for everyone. 
Learning points today will include what exactly is sustainable fashion, how are the current trends of fashion impacting our environment, and what we can do as consumers to become sustainable shoppers in the fashion world. We'll be right back after this break. are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. 
Rosemary, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Katie. I'm I'm very pleased to be with you. Well, it's it's such an important topic for me. Um, but before we move any further, I know that I have not said your name in the beautiful language that it's supposed to be said. And so if you could just say your name for everybody, that would be great. Okay, my name is Rosemarie Rijgrok. That's okay. So definitely a, a, a different than what I said, but I gave it a good shot. <laughs> so Rosemary, what ignited yeah, your passion sure. in the area of sustainable fashion? I think uh, during my first visit in the Far East in 1987, I was as a young buying uh, girl going to the Far East. And then I saw the differences between what was normal over there in the Far East in uh, in Indonesia and what was normal here. And, okay, I was raised by very social parents and it didn't feel well and I want to do something about it or I was constantly thinking uh, this could be different and why it's different and why this kind of issues are um, pro, um, are reached out so different than uh, in the Western countries. And this question was constantly with me. Well, what did you see over there that, that bothered you? Uh, mainly that the people who were working over there in the big factories, um, they were working on the circumstances uh, without uh, any airco. Okay, in that moment, aircos were um, not so popular as now in the West, but uh, there were no fins. Uh, the people were looking constantly afraid. And I was thinking, wow, uh, when I am working in my company, I want to be there with my smile on my face and not with the fear in my eyes. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can see that uh, they were really afraid for the managers. So that was uh, concerning me, for for instance. So the launch pad was what you saw over there as far as um, the way the fashion industry employed their people. But when we're talking about sustainable fashion, it goes beyond that, doesn't it? No, we're, we, we hear sustainable a lot these days. Um, sustainable food, yeah. sustainable water resources, sustainable fashion. But... Uh, because our topic is honing in on sustainable fashion and textiles, can you uh, give us what your definition of that is? Yeah, my my definition about it is uh, that we have uh, to see how the people um, uh, how the people are treated in the supply chain. That everyone gets a living wage everywhere. So from farmer to worker in the factories but also the shop manager in in our own countries. Um, Next to that, that's on the worker conditions. And next to it, of course, it's uh, the use of uh, of fabrics that didn't harm uh, the workers in that field, but also it doesn't harm the, the earth. And this holistic approach, that is for me sustainable fashion. Are we talking, too, about the actual materials used? You know, I think if someone was to say here that they have heard about the notion of sustainable fashion, I think maybe the top of, of what would be on people's minds would be cotton. 
and how uh, the growing of cotton is 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 really stretching our resources in many ways. So can you go into explaining that and then we'll sort of do a corollary onto all these other things that that do encompass sustainable fashion? Yeah, okay, about cotton, uh, I was also once a cotton manager for fair trade. And um, the difference that uh, is in cotton is that uh, we have conventional cotton. And this conventional cotton today is uh, uh, grown with a lot of chemicals. And when you you use these chemicals uh, to grow this cotton, the, the chemicals... Um, when it touches water, it's like alcohol. So it it flows away. And uh, this is um, why also cotton, in a conventional way, to use the GMO seeds uh, with chemicals, it costs uh, more than four, four and a half thousand liters of water to grow one kilogram of cotton. And if you think that uh, it's raw cotton, and if you think that uh, about it when uh, there are four kilograms of uh, raw cotton in your jeans, you can imagine it's about eight, twelve thousand liters of water concerning the conventional cotton, what is used in it. And a human being needs only 350 liters of water for to stay alive. In a month. So the impact of growing cotton is is profound, and I think that's the, like the main thing that we've focused on here. Um, there are, you know, when you talk, let's just go back to talk about talking about. Um, I think we talked briefly beforehand about how much a pair of jeans uh, costs yeah. in the water world. Could you just, you know? I think that'll put into perspective a little bit more. If you can give everyone the corollary that you told me about uh, from production to wearing, how much water approximately it takes for that one pair of jeans. Yeah, I think it's around uh, eight to uh, 12,000 liters of water. And then we're, so we're not even talking. Water. It's a lot of water. And then we're not even talking about washing those jeans. Yes, indeed. Now there was yeah. there was a collapse of a building in Bangladesh in uh, 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I was not aware of that until I came in contact with you. I think it's worth telling that story. Yeah, um, that was uh, mainly the biggest collapse uh, ever in the textile industry. But before that collapse, every year, more or less. Eight to twelve thousand people die in fashion factories uh, by um, um, by fire, by accidents, and this collapse was uh, on topic of mind. Uh, I don't know how it came in the news so big, but in Europe, for example, this news was uh, huge. And uh, the Clean Clothes Campaign, one organization who stands for better work conditions in the textile industry. Um, they were working for many years about this topic, but this message around the world uh, stretches everything. And since then, um, the people and the brands, uh, the bigger brands, they are now around the table because 
Yeah, so many people were involved uh, with this collapse. More than uh, 1,100 people were died, and we can say today were killed because the owner knew that the building was not built on the right uh, documents. So it was a four-floor building, but he put another few floors on topic. And um, with heavy machines, uh, with uh, too much people in the building who are working uh, in the textile industry, all these sewing machines, the building was too heavy for to carry all this uh, heavy stuff inside. So it was collapsing on the morning of uh, 24th of April in 2013. But in the morning, people, the workers, they already saw that the walls were not uh, well constructed anymore. They didn't want to go in in that moment. But the owners of uh, the little um, workspaces, uh, the manufacturing of the fashion industry, um, they say to the workers, you have to go in because you have to work today. And um, so all these stories came afterwards because yeah, there were more than 3,000 people injured and so many people who came out luckily uh, in a fair, in a well-being. But they came out with all those stories and it brings and it brought uh, the message on another level that this we could uh, could not uh, approve anymore to do uh, to work in this way. I think that that was probably um, in, you know, I, I shouldn't I shouldn't say completely, but that was um, maybe all of our first foray into um, sustainable, the idea of at least fair trade fashion, the fair trade fashion industry, because we did hear um, here in uh, North America about the big corporations hiring uh, cheap labor, and there was a lot of pressure put on some very big name companies to uh, pay fairly to provide good working conditions. Is that where you launched from and then you became more knowledgeable in the other areas? Or is this really still your primary focus is on working conditions? Uh, primary, yes, because I think that all the change is to give people a living wage. And uh, and to, when they are working, they have to work in a safe uh, space and if uh, if you start with this um, Peter uh, pe- people they also have more time to think about uh, their own life so I think it's uh, it's a circular approach to start with this and then to think about also uh, sustainable fabrics and better lives and then all starts to roll uh, better for everyone well, I, I agree. And, you know, you ta- you touched uh, very briefly something that we're probably going to talk about a little bit more a bit later on. But you talked about the chemical environment of some of the fabrics that the, the uh, people have to work on. I imagine that, you know, the yeah. chemicals are still part of the working environment. Is that fair to say? Yes, sure. Because um, if you, as a worker, you your fabrics are with a lot of uh, chemicals inside and you have to uh, sew your the clothes you and you are, are 12 hours <laughs> with this kind of uh, fabrics in your hands you can imagine if there are too much uh, 
uh, chemicals inside what it, it will do on your hands or on the breath. So it is very important that uh, not only for us to wear the clothes without chemicals, but also for the people who are making the clothes, that the chemicals are not there for them. I think uh, before we go to break, I, I want maybe to end off this uh, this half of the show by I think you need to enlighten people about the chemicals that go on to the clothes that are in the working environment because um, I don't think everybody is really aware that when they are buying clothes, uh, the majority of clothes are coming in some way, shape, or form with harmful chemicals on them. Yeah, it starts already with, uh, because uh, it's very simple. You have two different kinds of materials, like cotton and a collar. And to match these two kinds of uh, materials together, you need something else that it is glue on it. And because we have today a washing machine and we want that our clothes sustain very bright, uh, even if we washed it after three, four, five, maybe ten times, and that can only be done when chemicals are inside. And um, yeah, in the past, a lot of um, chemicals who were used, and one of it, um, and this is really a, a nasty, one, nasty one, it's a formaldehyde. And we know from formaldehyde that uh, it causes cancer. So a lot of people yeah, with skin problems Maybe they go to a doctor and they ask some cream or medication because they have something on the skin, but maybe it's your clothes what uh, cure this. Yeah, not and not even the laundry detergent. I think you know, I think it's important for people like you to bring this to light. Now, what about when when clothes are shipped? Now, my understanding is, and I've always been taught to wash my clothes before I wear them for the first time. Is this actually doing something? Mm-hmm. Um, are they shipped in a type of a chemical that can be washed off, or is is this just a waste of my time? Um, yeah, when when uh, the clothes are arriving in, in a container, uh, they use as well a kind of a powder that bacteria cannot stick on it. And because it's for four weeks in a container on a ship with a lot of water on the sea. So as it arrives uh, in our countries, it has to come out and it's sure it's better to wash it first. Because uh, this powder causes also very, um, um, can be cause a lot of health care uh, for ourselves. So it's, washing is always the, a good part. But of course, now there are also a lot of discussion uh, how to wash it, how many times to wash it, because we use normally drinking water uh, in our laundry. So, But I think um, when you buy the normal fabrics and normal clothes, it's better to wash it. But I have to say when you buy, and that is maybe the next topic, but when we start to buy only organic or uh, healthy fabric, um, clothes, clothes who are made from healthy fabrics, uh, then you don't need to wash it immediately. Oh, interesting. Well, I think that's because probably then, a, a good... Yeah, because then uh, all the... All... Go ahead, Rosemary. Uh, then all these kinds of chemicals are not in it because they are not allowed to be there. Oh, they're not allowed to be on the... Is that, is that, is that a law somewhere? 
when they're making these clothes? The organic clothes um, are not allowed yeah, if to... You, yeah, if you want to use an organic uh, label, so it's 100% organic, and you want to use that label in your clothes as a brand, um, uh, it has to be certified. And the certification is uh, most of the time done by Textile Exchange or GOTS, Global Organic uh, Trade Standards. And they, they check it if um, some chemicals are there in the in the um, in the clothes. And if uh, if you want to use that um, certification, it's not allowed to use a lot of chemicals. That's very interesting. Okay, we're going to take a short break. And you're right, when we come back, I'd like to start on the topic of what is a healthy fabric and, and, and healthy clothes and talk about the environment, all, all these things that I don't think that we're connecting the dots with that I'd really like you to bring the light because I would really like everybody to start in some small way after listening to this to get on this train of sustainable fashion because it really does impact many, many areas of yeah, our lives. Great. We'll be back yeah. in, a, in a couple mm-hmm. of minutes. Yes, okay. If grace was a kingdom, I stopped at the gate, thinking I don't deserve to pass through after all the mistakes that I've made. Oh, but I heard a whisper As heaven bent down Said, child, don't you know That the first will be last And the last get a crown
There's a seat at the table just waiting for you. So come on inside. You are listening to The Health Hub here on Radio Maria Canada. A Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We're having a fascinating and extremely informative conversation on sustainable fashion. Rosemary, I wanted to pick up where we left off, and um, I want to start off with the prints that are on young kids' shirts and some studies that you mentioned to me uh, off-air about uh, ADD, I think it was, and um, chemicals that are Mm -hmm. on young children's clothing. Yeah, yeah, nowadays, of course, uh, kids are influenced by TV, Netflix, all those movies, and they want to have uh, a sweatshirt, a T-shirt, underwear, pajamas, and uh, mainly they are made of uh, nylon or polyester, and uh, yeah, these are all oil-based materials, and uh, they have to be colored, dyed by uh, with chemicals as well. And, yeah, we are not really transparent about it, but the nylon, the polyester, the and you are going to sleep with it or you are going to play with it. Uh, it's not so healthy for our children. And uh, we have here a movement here in Europe that especially young mothers, they re- truly want to have organic cotton for their children because, okay, the uh, there are some research that there is a relation between dis- child diseases and also this kind of clothes. Of course, it's not 100% proven, but as you see, when you see the curves in healthcare with children, that there is uh, ADD, there is uh, skin problems, uh, mental problems, uh, aggression. Of course, there's a big relation between uh, the, our lifestyle nowadays, but also to our the the clothes we are wearing, and especially on kids. They the skin is so thin, and the skin is one of the biggest organ of our body. And I say always look at when you're going to the under the shower. We, when you went to the shower, I think a few minutes later you have to go to the toilet. So that quick, our skin takes water, but also the chemicals in our body. So it has to go somewhere. And then, uh, yeah, relate to healthcare, there's one step to to think about it uh, when you are wearing this kind of uh, fabrics. It's so, uh, until you really start to investigate about this, it's, you don't realize how impactful all of this area in fashion is on us. It, it really, it's, it's been quite an eye opener for me. Uh, and I want to make sure that we pull out so many things so that people can start, you know, whatever your passion is within this field of sustainable fashion, you can find something to bite onto and, and really work with being a better consumer in the fashion field. Now, is organic cotton the gold standard for clothing? Um, more or less. 
even if they say that cotton needs a lot of water, uh, there are some research because uh, you can investigate how many water you need. And uh, um, we have a tool where you can count how man many chemicals and uh, how many saving you can do when you use conventional or organic cotton. And for example, I was involved in a project and uh, this brand, they made a conventional cotton trousers. And um, what they save now for to do the step over to organic uh, cotton, it's 3,000 liters of water um, uh, in, in the new trouser of organic cotton. But also the chemicals, it's 85% less than uh, when they used the conventional cotton. So that is that are big numbers, mm -hmm. isn't it? It's huge numbers. Now, uh, this may be a silly question, but is organic cotton recyclable? Uh, yes, yeah, and especially nowadays uh, because the circular. Uh, so we had first sustainable fashion or sustainable or uh, corporate social responsibility as yeah, CSR. Uh, but now we focus more and more on circularity. And circularity means that uh, that you can reuse the materials you have already in a product. can be your mobile phone, can be your laptop, but also clothes. And cotton, for a long time, it was not so such a well material for to recycle because the fibers are not that long. But nowadays they... You can recycle your old jeans, for example, and then they add, they shredder the cotton jeans, and then they recycle up to with other new new material. But that you can understand that you don't need uh, uh, three, four kilograms of raw cotton anymore because you have already your base of your old jeans. So you only need. Um, a few, uh, 30% or 60% uh, new cotton. And that's where, where we have to go, especially on climate change, where we have the question nowadays, uh, can cotton grow nowadays in the fields where it always grow? Because also in India, but also in America, also in, uh, in Africa, everything is changing nowadays. Mm -hmm. So we have to be aware especially very careful about the raw materials we are using nowadays. And that's why also polyester, it's oil-based and it entered in the market uh, after the World War II, um, especially by the bigger oil companies and the acryl companies, because it's, it was very easy. But nowadays, uh, we see also recycled polyester and, of course, um, uh, especially in, in uh, America and Canada, we see that uh, to use that kind of materials, it's higher than here in Europe. Here in Europe, for example, we, the consumers, they ask more cotton than in America. But if you don't know how it feels to, have to wear cotton or you don't know, you are not uh, informed by the materials you are wearing, yeah, you buy maybe yeah, the next oil product. But oil is also yeah, a nasty industry. Mm -hmm. And then these, these polyester, nylon, these, all these fabrics, 
where do they go when we're finished using them into the into the garbage? Yeah, it, yeah. Most of the people they put it in the garbage. Um, here we have now here in the Netherlands where I live, um, focus that it's not in the normal garbage, but you put it in the uh, recycle cans for for textile, because it's because of the chemicals of what is inside of it. Um, yeah, it uh, um, it's really uh, not good to put your clothes in the normal bins uh, with uh, with your the rest of your fruits or your potatoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, when this is contaminated, uh, you can't do anything with it anymore. Do you have um, knowledge or statistics of? How frequently, uh, maybe I'll step back a bit. The polyester, the nylon, all these blends, they reduce the cost, yeah. correct? Yeah. Uh, so, yes. so reducing the cost. Only, only in the materials, eh? In, in the, the materials. Material cost, the uh, material cost. Yes. Which, which will translate yeah. to the consumers, I'm, I'm sure, which allows consumers to turn over their clothes far more frequently, especially when you're going to, you know, big bulk stores and, you know, T-shirts are $4 and, and jeans are $10. This, in the yeah. short term, is beneficial uh, dollar value-wise, it seems. What is the impact, though, on turning over these clothes so often, both on um, water, pollution, um, consumerism? How is this the impact of, of, sort of sort of discount clothing with these materials? How is this impacting us negatively? Uh, at the end, it all fill, goes to landfill, and of course, there are some organizations they, they buy this kind of uh, second-hand clothes, and uh, they bring it to Africa, and it's only landfill, and it takes uh, hundreds of years that it's, um, it breaks down, maybe never. So, and that's uh, we are talking about the plastic soup, the plastic oceans, uh, the environment. Uh, all these kind of things. So we have to start as a consumer to rethink what we do by ourselves. And yes, of course, it's uh, very attractive to buy that dress for $9. But I think um, that uh, when you want to have a sustainable life, you have really to rethink also this kind of uh, buyings by yourself. So I tell always that uh, please buy a good quality when you buy it, um, check your label and buy uh, also quality uh, materials like uh, organic wool, like organic cotton, like uh, hemp nowadays, mm-hmm. it's upcoming, uh, linen, flax. So this kind of materials, they are old-fashioned materials. But what we see is that before the Industrial uh, Revolution, we hardly had problems with our environment, but nowadays we have because there's also overconsumerism. So we buy too much. So why we have to wear every day a new clothes? And some clothes they are not worn for nine, more, not more, more than nine times. So it's stupid when you think about it that you only wear your clothes nine to twelve times. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're right. And you know what? I'm as guilty as the next person on some of those fronts. So I think it's so important. You know, it's so eye opening. 
What inroads do you feel that you've made? Um, I don't know if this translates to North America, but with, within Europe, Amsterdam, where are you seeing positive change? Are you impacting with, with your words? Yeah, at the moment, I am really happy that awareness is growing at the consumers because we do not know how it's made anymore. Also here in the Netherlands, we don't have any production some small production, but the big industry is went all well down to the Far East, of course, or to the east of Europe. So people don't know anymore how it's made. And that is a big issue because if you know how it's made, then you have more respect for how it's made. And you don't throw away your clothes like it's uh, uh, a toilet paper. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that we have to reconsider what we have because your most sustainable closet is the clothes you have already in your closet and look at it uh, and maybe you can repair, maybe you can uh, alterate your clothes into something new. And um, so there starts the awareness to think and also when you go shopping and to think, uh, do I really need it? Because most of the time you think, oh, I have already a black trouser in my closet. I have already three jeans in my closet. So why I have to wear to buy another another one? And there, with the awareness, starts this change inside of yourself. Excellent. Um, and that I see also here in Europe, that awareness on the people and consumers is starting to grow. Do you see it in in North America? Are you in touch with our markets uh, at all? Yes, because we have. Uh, I'm uh, one of the coordinators at Fashion Revolution. Fashion Revolution is a worldwide organization, and also in Canada, in the United States, there is a Fashion Revolution, and also there they speak about it that awareness on the consumers is growing. And even also the big magazines like Vogue and um, Glamour, this kind of magazines, fashion magazines, they uh, speak about it. For me, it's a challenge to reach uh, the younger people who are going to high school, 12, 13, 14 years old. Uh, They want to look hip and trendy uh, after the latest uh, fashion, and and they run... um, to this kind of giants of retailers and to have cheapest clothes. Mm -hmm. And they buy also most of them because when you are 30, I think you don't buy that much anymore. But I think that the group, uh, young children, that we have to reach now also these kind of people. And this is a challenge. It is a challenge, but the parents are buying a lot for the kids too. So you, you know, you start with the parents who are you know providing yeah. the funds. It's it's a That's good true. it's a good place yeah. to start. Now, um, I I know that we're pressing against the time here, but you know to to can put things in a little bit more concise form for people to have bites to walk away with here. What are the, you know one two three things that you can suggest that we can do today to start? the movement towards our own sustainable fashion. Can you give us two or three tips that you think are are, are highlights? Yeah, I think that uh, you have to look into your own closet and to clean up your closet. So look what's inside already. 
start to try on again and if it looks nice on you and maybe you can alterate it or to give it away to your neighbor or a friend or uh, someone in the family don't throw it away so that's one the second is if you want to throw it away because it doesn't look nice anymore don't throw it in the normal waste bin give it to a charity um, organization first of all because maybe they can do something with it and uh, three when you buy something go um, to a shop and be aware look at the label read what's inside of it when you see that it's 100% polyester think do I want to wear it maybe it looks nice but if you are getting ill on it, yeah, then it's also not so nice anymore. So be aware of what you are buying the next time. And be aware, too, as we were talking, I don't want this facet of it to be ignored, too. When you're buying uh, these clothes, be aware of maybe who's making them and, and the environment that um, these people who are producing the clothes are working in. I think that's important, and I don't think that that's beyond things that we can research here. Um, you mentioned something, um, Fashion Revolution. Is there a Canadian site that people can look at if they want to become a part? Yeah. Yeah, it's very easy. It's uh, fashionrevolution.ca. So you can see what uh, what we are doing worldwide, but also in Canada. There are also events, especially around 24th of April. Then there is the Remembrance Day. But through the year, we organize worldwide events um, for small talks, uh, clothes swaps, um, get more information about it. So I suggest uh, for your listeners uh, yeah, in Canada to go to that site. And otherwise, you can also go to fashionrevolution.org. And that's the UK site. And from there, you can go to any country where you live and see what's happening in your country. Excellent. And um, if people want to find out about you and your company, uh, do you have a website that they can uh, reach you through? Yes, of course. Uh, my website is uh, cleanandunique.com. Excellent. And on Twitter, uh, you have an account on Twitter. It's at Marie R, correct? Yes, and that that's R O O S M A R I E, capital R. Um, when we post the podcast, it will be all that information will be on SoundCloud that you can find that. Uh, it has been a great conversation, and thank you so much for taking the time. I think what you're doing is wonderful, and I applaud you. Thank and you. Uh, you know, in small ways, mm -hmm. I hope that we will walk away with doing things. I know that I've become far more aware from speaking with you and looking at what you do. And uh, it's something One that... One person for me is already beautiful. Oh, yeah, thank <laughs> so you. And I hope... If you're listening... Sorry, go ahead. If your listeners... Uh, so if your listeners uh, can follow this and they are more aware after this conversation, I would be really happy about it. Me too. I think it's such an important part of health, an important part of caring for other people in our environment. Um, everybody, thank you for joining us. Rosemary, thank you for joining us as well and taking the time um, during the evening. It's past, uh, it's past uh, the regular working day where you are. So thank you once again. And everybody, we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub.
You have been listening to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.